0: David Wevel, welcome to the studios of WCBN-FM
1: Ann Arbor Thank you
0: <laughs> Well it's lovely to see you here and um, we're pre-taping the show um, this is uh, the mon- actually a Thursday morning October fifteenth, two 2009 um, David is in town uh, he's a visiting writer here at the university and, and he'll be reading at the University of Michigan Museum of Art Um. And without further ado, I'll read uh, a short biography that's included uh, on, on the posters. David Wevel was born a Canadian in Japan in 1935 and was educated in both Canada and England. He has lived in Burma and in Spain, but has made his home in Austin, Texas for the past 30 years. While resident in England in the 1960s and 1970s, he established a substantial reputation as a poet, publishing four volumes between 1964 and 1974. He won prizes, was represented in all the major anthologies, and was c- included in the renowned Penguin Modern Poet Series. I believe it was the fourth, the fourth edition. Like
1: yeah, that. sure.
0: <laughs> um, before his full collection, his first full collection appeared. With his move across the Atlantic, he fell from view in Britain, although his work continued to be published in his native Canada. And, and awarded and and well well supported as well, right, David? Yeah. His publications include *Birth of a Shark* (1964), *A Christ of the Ice Flows* (1966), and also *Asterix* with Exile editions, uh, published in 2007 uh, out of Toronto. He has published translations of Fernando Pessoa and the Hungarian Ferenc Juhász.
1: Ferenc Juhász.
0: Thank you, David. <laughs> David Wevel teaches English literature and creative writing at the University of Texas, Austin. He's a very kind man to help me with my pronunciation as well. <laughs> I can vouch for him already. <laughs> um, well, David, it seems like um, one, of the, one of the most striking things to me is that you're a poet of the world. Um, and uh, seemingly doing a lot of moving around the globe, and then sometime in the seventies, alighting in Texas, and and for for some reason that I hope that you'll tell us, like you decided to make it your base. Um, wh- what what happened in the the time? Because you've been um, as we listed, uh, born in Japan of Canadian parents. Uh, you studied in Cambridge in England, um, lived in Burma, <laughs> and then somehow you've come to Texas. And I think, I wonder if, is it affecting your poems, your work? I don't know if you're able to talk about that, like with the places you lived, oh. and then then landing in Texas.
1: Yeah. Totally untrustworthy individual, <laughs> yes, I know. Disloyal, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've I've been all over the place, but I've settled in Texas. But I, I've been there since actually 1968, and and uh, so that's 40 years, is it, or more? 40 years, I think. Uh, and I raised a family there, and uh, and it uh, happened accidentally. I had no idea how long I'd stay, and and then the university picked me up, and and uh, I just stayed. And and uh, and, uh, and uh, prior to that, I moved around quite a lot, but. Um, Uh, Yes, uh, three generations of my family had been in Japan. My my father's side and my mother's side. My mother was born there, and and my sister and I were born there in the 30s. So uh, uh, we were entrenched in Japan, in Yokohama, and uh, left Japan not long before Pearl Harbor and went to Canada. And... uh, so i, I was
0: how old were you? How old were you then um David were you very young? Were you about six or I was so? five, five I think we okay. were on
1: the edge of five there when we left japan but but um I've never been back you know i've but though, though I, I love everything I know about the country except for certain wartime feats of it.
0: <laughs> right <laughs> but, but, well, but and um, same about us right <laughs> in some ways I know, yes I many I know. ways. I know. <laughs>
1: But uh, I, I've uh, yeah I've wandered quite a bit, but I've settled down pretty much now. And I, I did live in Spain for a bit in the south of Spain in a village, uh, up up off the sea. And and uh, I was in Burma for two years from fifty eight to sixty, teaching in in Mandalay at a small college there.
0: Were you teaching English then? Is yes, that what you were... English and history. Oh, which is what you had studied at Cambridge that's right, that's right, as well, yeah. mm-hmm. and then in Spain <clears throat> when you were in the the south of Spain, what what town was that, David? When
1: it's a small village called Frigiliana, which is uh, up up above Nerja, which is on the on the uh, on the Mediterranean coast, uh, about forty kilometers north of Malaga, and but it's up in the hill there.
0: Yeah. And w- and what what time mm-hmm. period of that w- in your? in your writing life was that did you um what did you go to the small village in spain to do and and what time did it was it after cambridge or oh yes yeah yeah.
1: Oh. yeah it uh well there was a sabbatical year uh, from from university of texas that first brought us there as a family and uh, and uh i i have three daughters two were born so they're all three there at the time am i right yes and then we went back uh, uh, later on, eighty one, eighty two, and bought a house in that. But um, so I know that part of Spain pretty well. And
0: oh, so you have? It's, oh, so you you have a base in Spain I as don't. well as in Austin? I don't. There oh, was a don't. divorce. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. 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 But, but, mm. but but what was it? Um, since it was your sabbatical year, was mm. that? Um, was did you go there for the writing? Was it? Was that? To influence one of
1: the books, uh, that it did do. I, uh, no single book came out of that, but but it's been peppered through a lot of the poetry. You know, uh, it, uh, I, I'm not good at projects. You know, I, I can't say I'm going to sit down and write this or that uh, and bring it to completion. What tends to happen is that things get strung out through various pieces and bits and poems and that, and so nothing reaches closure. Right, which. Uh,
0: Thank goodness,
1: but I think there's a Piscean, I guess that that figures.
0: <laughs> That's right. You're, you're you're nimble in the waters, yes. aren't you? Kind of yeah. elusive mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. Um, which fits with um, your your um, your latest collection um, published by Exile Editions. That mm-hmm. uh, Michael Callahan was was kind kind enough to um, send a copy. Of to me asterisks, <laughs> because then it's it's the book itself is made up of these these numbered pieces, and each of the pages starts with with one of the asterisks. It's, so it's really, right. it, it's like your core these pieces that yes, are interconnected. Yeah.
1: Well, it was interesting. I, I was going through a period where I, I was not writing full poems or whatever. And, um,
0: is that uh, what you feel about these? Uh, poems? Well, I, I
1: decided I'd I'd. I'd um, I I do play, play judo with it I suppose and, and um, r- rather than continue to try and press for page uh, poems that went on for two or three pages or something I decided what the heck uh, why not uh, why not stick with what is short and uh, what I found was that if I was going beyond a certain length, I, I was mistrusting myself I, I was beginning to tell lies you know so, so I, I let the poems conclude where they would, and they're all br- very brief. But they are really, really like, uh, like uh, asterisks, which, which are little stars, you know, that, that refer you to some other place to, for other information. And uh, I, I came to rather like that. And it is interesting because th- there are 49 of them, and they came in groups of seven without my uh, intending that and 7 and then a bit later 7 and so on and as I was coming into the 30s I said well obviously this is going to end at 49 which is the perfect multiple <laughs>
0: right. or you would have had a lot longer to go right? uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it would
0: have been a big, the, big, uh, much bigger <laughs> but
1: it is, is the shortest book and, and, uh, and in some ways the cleanest because
0: it but, is very clean. Yeah. Can you? What do you mean by that, David? Well, is
1: it's it's uh, because the brevity of the poems, I think, and uh, I think I think the poems are, are, t- are small small meditations, really. They, they are perceptions. They pick up a point and carry it on, but as they go on, I think they begin to link uh, as one moves through the book, and the themes recur. And one one friend said to me, "It, it could be read as a discontinuous long poem." Which is not the way I intended it, but, but um.
0: Well, because there is the chronology, the numbers giving you that guidance. Yes. That's. Well, maybe when we come back on mm. the air, then you you'll read us a couple of those. So if you like. That yeah. would that would be great.
1: And I did bring my reading glasses. Oh, you did.
0: Well, great. Well, we'll get okay. to that. <laughs> But um mm. and, and, and how have you worked with it seems like you had a chunk of these published in Exile's um mm-hmm. magazine yes. before. And it was interesting to to note in the back of where you have the acknowledgments, David, um, that Exile, the Literary Quarterly, volume thirty, number one, it's they published eleven through twenty one yes and so was that did you find homes because 1 through 7 Borderlands Texas Poetry Review right and then um, so did you find homes for the the first well up to number 21 yes and I, then, I did
1: and, and uh, um, oh boy there's a magazine run by what the heck I've forgotten the name journal uh, run out of England by a Canadian actually I called it Future something oh
0: Future Welcome the Future Booth, Welcome the Moosehead yes. Anthology yes
1: yes and then I had then sa- the first seven were actually um, uh, published in, in Spain too in, in a journal. <gasps> uh, Toria to-
0: Revista Cultural. Uh,
1: yes, okay. they, and they were translated by, by my wife and I, and uh, into Spanish.
0: Oh, that's lovely!
1: So uh, they did an article an article about me, man. so they had them there. And, yeah. the,
0: and then, the, then, the re, then the 49 were united in this book, Asterix, mm-hmm. out of Toronto, Canada. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're going to take a short break, and we'll, Surely, we'll, yeah. we'll be back today. David Wevel here on the program. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. <laughs> back if you're just tuning in i'm t hetzel you've got living writers and today david wevel is here his latest book asterix out with exile editions um and we're gonna hear a couple of these poems Uh, but first i'd like to say thanks to alex and tex for engineering today making us sound good (laughs) um so david we were (laughs) during the break we were looking through the book and then we thought why not at random? There's something beautiful about that with poems, is let's,
1: let's do a bit, <laughs> a bit of random. I'll, just, uh, I'll read a few. You tell me when you've had enough. And, <laughs> and I'll there, do some, uh,
0: well, then we'll just finish out the hour and we'll do a, the, a reading of asterisks.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, some of these have to do with history and images of history and uh, both old history and more recent. Uh, 20th century history.
0: You said in the, the uh, earlier David that there are pieces that connect to something else. When they when they were coming to be, um, mm. did you know what they like? They were an asterisk too, like no. where they the other connection in the no, world I, is. No, I, I, okay.
1: I was running blind here. <laughs> okay, There's a kind of almost an inner voice at work here, you know, without without a, a, an external structure of of, of thought or of. of uh, 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 intentional direction or anything I found, and there's something speaking in there. A lot of people have said this about themselves, but,
0: but David, don't is um, is that something that's also run through your work always? Yeah, I it's think it's so. not new in this book. It's just in a more striking form of spare. I, I think
1: so. Uh, Tina, I, th- there's uh, there's a lot of imagery. That's something that seems to be part of my code, <laughs> but. Um, uh, and, and there is here too pictures of in, in time or off time somehow. I'll read the first one just in an in, in intro. And uh, it may not be comprehensible, but some of the images here do do uh, repeat. Them, I so. love these
0: poems. I'm sure it'll be comprehensible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is asterisk one shredded pulp, glue of history, page upon page pressed flat. In every word, in and between each cry, a body, a someone, not clothed or naked or named. Let the sun attend to this. Fingers of concrete, feet spared the grass. Cut us doors less tall, so we may enter on our knees. Look down, look down. And uh, number two. They're digging the field that took them in from exile in the sand. The man bent double can see where a woman lay down with her child. And she sings, come home to where distress has no other smell. Now, ever. Ever. It's about certain European tragedies but they go back to the desert as well time. Number three, it's an image in the Upanishads. It's got the notion of two birds on separate branches of a tree. One is eating a fruit and the other is watching it eat. And so you have your figure here of the uh, unconscious active bird who's feeding himself. And the Bird of consciousness who's watching this but not eating it. Yes, it's a good figure. Uh, two branches, two birds, one eating, one watching. If one were to fly off, the other would have no purpose. More to where you are than here I am. What the heck? <laughs>
0: It's definitely, wow, <coughs> like interconnected. I know. Right? We can't we can't escape each yeah. other. We need one another, right? <laughs> what the heck?
1: <laughs> I know. I'll do a couple more if you like. This is about, it's based on my granddaughter Isabella, who's now a charmer of 14, but this is when she was little. I noticed one thing about, you know, little boys and little girls, when they, exp- they ex- express exuberance in different ways. Little boys tend to sort of fling themselves around, you know, and damage things and and go at odd angles, flying into furniture and stuff. Little girls hop, jump up and down in place, higher and higher, kicking their legs behind them, you know. And that's a way of being exuberant. So this one is... uh, Legs, legs, little girl springs up and down apart from where the wind goes... A part of the wind, who is a junkie with a clear head, a capsized star in its youngest sex, has her own name, jumps higher and higher to reach, to touch it. And I'll read one more. This is number seven. Is there life after poetry? All that the past caught would perhaps return to itself. Mind gone back now to life's proper calling, life. Some things will dance and others will lie still. If we detect a singing, it is theirs.
0: Thank you, David. Welcome. Yeah. That, uh, that was from David's book, Asterix, available from Exile Editions out of Toronto. So so it was perfect that you read Seven, too.
1: I might have missed one. Yes, I did I read Seven.
0: <laughs> and and so they came in that chronology, and that's how you, yes, you honored no, that, uh, you kept it.
1: I, I, there's no rearrangement. I didn't sort of edit it to... Um,
0: and is that normal? Is that a way that you work as well with with your other um, poems? Like how?
1: Not so much because the, in the other books they tend to be titled poems, you know, and intact more or less, even if related. But their their one tend to do a rearrange if necessary for publication.
0: But well, because they also seem more mobile as the like units of themselves, mm. don't they? Yeah. How where you can. Um, I, I love in that last poem that you read, David. How um, if if we can hear any singing, it's theirs, but it's not. It could be the ones that are dancing, or the ones lying down, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or both.
1: It could be both. <laughs> That's yeah, I think that that that, that uh, the thing about that poem. I asked that question fairly seriously because I was wondering whether I wanted to go on writing, you know. And uh, so, if is there life after poetry? Uh, is, like, uh, is um, but also i was thinking more generally that poetry tends to be the, one of the voices we've we've um, uh, we've we've uh, uh, discovered and developed in that to to define the world you know and, and the world outside ourselves not just our human world and and uh, what what uh i mean if the if the voice suddenly went silent, if the radio suddenly cut off you know the the poetry radios that were wanted to be left, all these sounds of creatures expressing themselves in waves and wind and trees and so forth and, and so no
0: interpretation no
1: interpreter there no no, no poet to interpret. Would, uh, would that be bad would that be it's an open question <laughs> I, I i was you know what it is is that we would we would be listening to other voices that that um, that are, are their own their definitions and expressions of what goes on. I suppose it sounds pretentious, but... But um,
0: but in a way, that not that in some ways, like what the poet hopes to be listening to mm. honestly yeah. anyway?
1: Yes. yes, yes it's,
0: Whatever honestly means.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the determination to go on uh, uh, expressing ourselves, oneself, you know, is, is something that we take for granted. You know, when, when we'll go on, when we we'll go on writing or singing or composing or painting, making, making. That's that's the good word, and and uh, and we take it for granted almost. And then suddenly, you might sit back one day and say, "What am I doing?" <laughs> and then there will fall a silence of some kind, you know, and out of that might, might come these other sounds that have been modified or obscured or whatever by, by the, the human sound. You know.
0: And and it almost seems like that's mm-hmm. what you said was surrounding the whole time of the making of Asterix.
1: Yes, yeah. Yes, it was written, the book, it was, the, all those poems were written out of, out of, out of um, almost incapability, you know, the, the sense that one wasn't Pushing forward, or, 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 uh, or you know, writing a long poem or something, and uh, and uh, so what? What is there there? So it really, it's a kind of questioning, I suppose. It's you
0: know, it, go. well. It's almost mm. as if it's like you had the mm. a piece of material, like uh, like listening to you, David, and and from mm. reading the book, where like this this chunk of wood, and then you are paring it mm. away into something that so it's not you know going on for pages and it's something the material that was there yes. and you're pairing more and more away from it in some way
1: yes but it had to stop at forty nine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that were all the, those were all the blocks that you had. Know, the chunks you I had, know, right? I
1: and I've done precious little since, uh, which means that oh. some, <laughs> something happened there which defined itself and, and shut me off. You know, but I, I don't know. So, yeah,
0: Sorry. what did you do then? What, what did you do after like that? Because I know you said you've mm-hmm. got. Um, uh, Let's see, a a book of poetry and translations um, coming out, edited by Michael McGriff, Truman State University Press in 2010.
1: Yes. Uh, That's, Mike did that. Mike was, this is entirely his own idea. It's extraordinary. And he
0: was one of your students at Austin. He was an
1: MFA student, extraordinarily good poet uh, uh, from Oregon. Yes. And, uh he um, has a
0: connection to here as well with uh, with brita and and who was in the mfa some yes you're here. absolutely
1: right and, and i met and they're, they're going to be married of course and, and uh this is wonderful but uh he's 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 a remarkable young he, he's um he, he himself has put out his first book dismantling the hills which is an excellent book and and uh and um and he he's he's finished a Stegner Fellowship at Stanford, and, and a Jones Fellowship. He's just working on his last year of. and also he's bringing out uh, 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 translations of Thomas Tranströmer's book uh, *Sorrow Gondola*.
0: And he's that's you actually have an epigram of to row through the silence exactly, and and that line appears in one of the poems.
1: Exactly, uh, that, that's well. one of that's That's Mike's translation. It's a very very clean translation. To row through the silence.
0: So it must have been great for him to actually find and work with you at Austin. Well, if w- we this got on
1: very, very well. He's an extraordinary guy, and uh, uh, but uh, he's—you know—he's going to go far. I mean, he's already gone far. But, but um, he—you know—he just said, I, "I want to do this," and what it is, these are not new poems or work. This is going back over all the books. And, and selecting, he selected, and, uh, including short prose pieces. And um,
0: did you bring any of those those I prose pieces, those, David? No. Okay, that's a another bit, time. Yeah,
1: that's called casual ties, <laughs> which can be misread casualties. <laughs> 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 I didn't intend that. Someone else told me that it was with him.
0: Um, the subconscious yeah, at work. right?
1: The, the short sort of rather strange prose. But, but um but some of those are going to be in there but but what it is is a kind of compendium i suppose a fairly long book and uh and uh he he he's he was in, in total charge you know I, I i made suggestions about certain changes and that but but so it's it's a it's an act of extraordinary generosity well, <laughs> and, it and then time and effort and energy and,
0: but mm-hmm. it must be also a reflection of your generosity to him as well for him um, to want to to do that. And I think it's also mm-hmm. interesting because you have to trust someone a lot. There must be some sort of instinct you have where yeah. you know it will be shaped in some way mm-hmm. that will be true to you as well, even right? yes. or, or most. Yeah, because like yeah. sometimes we can't see ourselves, can we, David? But somebody can right, see more. Yeah,
1: exactly. But, but in a sense, it's, it's, his, it's his book too, because he's the, he's the uh, begetter of it and the you know and, and the and the uh, realizer and all of that. And so, uh, one only hopes this could happen for everybody. <laughs>
0: Well, let's see, I look forward to reading it. Maybe, maybe you'll come back and we'll we'll talk about it when it comes out because yeah. that'll be um, so next year.
1: The spring, supposedly. Oh, in the
0: spring. I okay. think
1: I don't know.
0: So the poetry and translations of David Wevel. We'll have to. We'll look for that in spring of twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a short break. You're mm-hmm. listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel today on the program. David Wevel, um, his book Asterix. We've been talking about from Exile Editions. We'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> If you're just tuning in, you've got Living Writers on WCBN <coughs> FM, Ann Arbor. <coughs> I'm T. Hetzel, and here is David Wevel, Wevel here in the studio with us. Um, David, so you've got um, another one of your your many books, I will say, "Other Names for the Heart" um, in your hand now. Yes. Um, could we hear a poem from
1: from that one, or Yes, we can if you like. Or, or the it's
0: deer. Because you have deer images and asterisks as well. It's
1: a solo I'll read a granddaughter poem, shall I? Oh, okay. so this is Isabella when she's learning to crawl. Oh. As I say, she's now, now a stunning a young woman of 14 who's just entered high school. And, and, uh, and it was always very independent and uh, determined. And uh, this is called Granddaughter. And she wouldn't recognize this now. Starting to crawl, she noses to earth like a mole. It is too hard for her. She must lie waiting like a seed until spring when the earth is softer. No, she is an animal. She can't wait. No says yes, and the arms brace hard and her fingers dig deeper. The carpet is a field of night filled with hidden dangers, hunters, shadows, cries. And later, in dreams, she will relive this slow flight through exile from the first dark that would claim her again if it could. Straining now toward the faint horizon of human voices, calling her home, asking her, Where have you been? We've waited a long time. Tell us what it was like back there.
0: Thank you, David. Such she, such l- like longing. There's they, there's your, the haunting qualities yeah. throughout all your poems, even when it's about your granddaughter. Mm,
1: it is. She, she's a wonderful person. She even after infancy, she never took a nap. You know, she'd go off by herself into a little corner uh, and 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 uh, play with things or find something to do or you know like like pre literate children she'd open a storybook or a picture book and you're here reading it <laughs> but uh
0: is that what you were like when you were a child David? i have no idea
1: are just no living witnesses but, <laughs> oh,
0: oh.
1: but um, yeah. on the first day at daycare uh, uh uh there came a time when the teacher said okay children it's time for a nap And all the little ones went and curled up like prawns around the floor. And Issa was very concerned and she walked up to her teacher and said, I'm the kind of girl who doesn't like to nap.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) I'm the kind
1: of girl. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, David, when did you start writing poems? Like, what was it? like, Like, when, what's the earliest time you can remember when you were, um, Writing, was it a poem that you wrote f- first? I mean, maybe not your first words. <laughs> it was a poem. <laughs>
1: it's somewhere in school, I think. You know, we had a school magazine. This is back in the early teens, I suppose. I don't remember writing as a child, but I like to draw pictures and, and paint and color and stuff. And
0: when did that? Did or do you still do that? Do you, not are you much. still painting?
1: Not much. I, n- I never kept it up. Uh, now that I've retired, I think that um, I, I might try again, but... I wonder
0: well, why that falls away sometimes. Well, maybe
1: it's replaced by words, you know, I don't know. But, uh, there's no reason why it should have been, except that, um, uh, I, I never, let's say, developed or pursued it.
0: When you went to Cambridge, was that a, a transformative moment for the, the, the poems as, like, forms or as joining mm-hmm. some sort of a community... Of or a continuum of poets in the world, or in t- internationally. That's really
1: interesting. Yeah. No, I well, I'd say I went to school in Canada, and uh, then I, after high school, I went to Cambridge, which is sort of unusual. Um,
0: like right, right after. Right after high after school. school,
1: yeah, and uh, and did my degree there. But um, I, I just thought, and, and in Canada is more the case than it would have been in the States, that that England was the source and and crucible of literature you know and of writing now now had i known at the time how rich in america was in that regard you know I would, but there i went to england Th- English, but at that
0: time too yeah. i think it wasn't it uh, the feeling 50s, was different you know, wasn't it, I, it I, was. I think it's there's been shifts at least at, i know yeah. Right. Every country is hopefully alive in this way. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> anyway. but then my family are split between England and Canada. Or were you know uh, were relatives in England and and a sort of background there too. So.
0: so may- maybe it made sense to go and try to understand that part of yourself. Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. I wanted to go. I, I I'd read you know a lot of literature and most of it was English.
0: In Cambridge, I
1: mean, that's the big mm. leagues. You, you know it's very I think it's changed now it's, um, I, uh, it's um, at the time it was a great privilege because you, you know if you're in, the, in, in a liberal arts uh, course or, or studying that at Cambridge Literature or Philosophy uh, you can more or less set your own schedule and uh, you, you know the work that has to be done the reading that has to be done and you have to meet with your tutor every so often to read a paper and that, and get checked. And but nobody keeps check on your classroom attendance. And and if you want to sh- sleep all day and and work, work all all, we'd be up all night. It's up to you. So so really, I, I think the thing there was that that you had to be independently able to read books and and find things out and and you, you know set your own kind of courses with were us. you ready <laughs>
0: for that is that something is that something that you you could do and it fed you and you thrived
1: i think so i, I read a lot as a child and, and as a teenager and so i knew how to learn from books and where to look in libraries
0: and how to read closely really to be in, yeah. in it in the yes. text yeah
1: and so uh w- it wasn't the kind of whip-em-up sort of atmosphere you get often in American colleges where, where you, you know, everyone's watching her every move. <laughs> right, what's
0: that about, actually? I, I mean, <laughs> to, to, to what the heck, <laughs> like yeah, you said yeah, earlier yeah. about a
1: <laughs> But I think the, the, uh, the uh, opposite of that is you could be quite lazy, you know, and you could, you could, um, you could could uh, whatever, but, but um, that, that's one thing I did appreciate, yeah.
0: Is that not, when not being
1: regimented? Yeah.
0: Is that when you found the group? The
1: uh, no, th- directly after that, I left Cambridge in what fifty-seven, I think, and worked for a year in advertising in London. Uh, many writers, I knew, poets, you know, worked in advertising as bread and butter kind of thing in those days. Um... But, but, uh, I, I, I was introduced to the group by somebody, uh, and, um, this so-called group is, these are usually Oxford and Cambridge, graduate poets, you know, who are down in London by then. And, uh.
0: So it's an elite group, in a way. It's already been vetted, and it would be hard to be part it of it if you
1: university. Were. Basically, that's the way it began. That's the way it started off, and, uh, and in the late 50s, and, uh.
0: Was Alvarez part of that group? No, no, no,
1: he's not. He, he's, he's a separate entity. Something. Yeah, okay. he's a reviewer and editor and creative. And but um, there were. Um, it, it was not a group that had a, a single aesthetic or, 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 you know, way of doing things. There were little, conjuries of individuals there, and met every week to read each other's work and comment on that and uh so it's quite useful
0: so it wasn't uh, as if the group was of one mind which no, sometimes no, no. you think of when yeah. you think of either like the like even the term the group or, no or yeah,
1: <laughs> i know it's it's a misnomer really and and i think uh it, it's uh it makes people think of a sort of a cabbage or something. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: or like a pack <laughs> like a west yes, side story I
1: know, I know. <laughs> but uh, no there are no two people alike in it and and um and, and so was, you know self help kind of your know, mutual help, but but um, it went on for a while. And, and when I went to Burma in '58 and came back, the group was it was expanded and so forth, and more people come in. But but uh, it, 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 I know it sounds as if it's a it's a kind of a gathering of, but it's a loose loose affair.
0: Was it was did you meet at pubs or so like we was met it at some someone's sort of... house? Oh,
1: yeah. And the person who just we met in served only tea. So there's a big rush on the pubs just before the meetings and so <laughs> <laughs> And then a rush to get out of the meetings to, before the closing time of the pubs.
0: Which <laughs> is pretty early in England.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's funny. But so so not during the moments when you were together. It was mm-hmm. drinking sipping tea, but before that you could
1: uh, you you had to tank <laughs> up a bit, you know. St- and as with all gatherings of people, it does. When, when each of us or members of us began to publish our books, our first book, and that it became a little less less uh, viable because you know once people have published books, they don't want to sit there having their now mature work discussed. Yeah,
0: mm. I don't think that's the right. It- I don't think that's the way to go, though. But but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) well, let's we'll take a short break. We'll be back. You're listening to Living Writers today on the program. Mm. David Wevel, Wevel, I'm T Hetzel, and um, we've got Alex and Tex here in the engineering booth. We'll be back. living writers i'm t hetzel and today david wevel is on the program um david um i love like there's a moment um i I wanted to mention there's a a great website the olives of oblivion oblivion um that has quite a long feature um of you on it Mm -hmm. i didn't know if you were Prob- you've probably seen it, The Olives of Oblivion. No. Well, it's, no. pretty, it's a lot of good information. <laughs> mm-hmm. And many of your, some, some poems from different um, books of yours, um, mm-hmm. like Birth of the Shark. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's one poem um, called uh, Two Riders. Mm-hmm. And I love a couple of lines in that. Why erase the hazardous energy of life with what's merely apparent in the mind?
1: Is that me? <laughs> you wrote that. <laughs> it's. Uh, I take your word for it. <laughs> yes. Is that? Do you want to comment on
0: that? Yeah. Can you deconstruct that for us?
1: No. <laughs> I don't know. It it sounds pompous a bit, but but um.
0: Well, taken out of context, too. Uh, right?
1: Well, gosh, I guess it, it. Thinking of it now, it. it ties in a bit with that number seven asterisk about if we detect a singing it is theirs, you know, because that's that's the abundance of life, I suppose. And, uh, as distinct from the other thing that you, I mentioned uh, there, I, I don't know. But, uh,
0: with the hazardous energy of life, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. and That struggle, that seems... Yeah,
1: well, or life's proper business, life. <laughs> yes. Number seven. But, um, yeah, it's. I guess it's a question that, n- not only I but ra- arises a lot. You know, what, what is this uh, arrangement? What is this organization? This imposing of, of of form and voice and all of that. And uh, of course, it has to be done because we're human beings. We have got to live.
0: It's. And <laughs> it is. It's. It's hmm. maybe it's a necessary part of the yes. living of some people. Right. Yeah. Although yeah. when you're making it, almost the sensation of that mm-hmm. sometimes when you're, when you're in it, it mm-hmm. can feel like you're most connected maybe, but then sometimes it feels very distancing mm. because you're thinking about the making sometimes yeah. without living. Yes. And is that what number, that number seven and the asterisk I don't know that, that <sighs> tension between I think artist. I think
1: so. I think so. And I think an- anything that requires... Craft or you know shape or form or they say is 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 a kind of a refining or refinement of of what's there, Um, but it's also uh, it's not only it can be an ennobling thing; it's also a limiting thing. You know, it's it's uh, naturally you can't, as William Empson says, you can't have madhouse and the whole thing there (laughs) in one of his. Short poems and, and uh I guess that um, different people, different artists, different poets do it in different ways, so some of them try to get it all in you know and, and other others find a tack or a way to uh, do it and it's not a plus or a minus this it's it's a it's a way to
0: and sometimes it maybe isn't even a choice
1: it is you know.
0: What what do you believe yours is and has been? and Are you able to say?
1: I I think it's, it's in my case, a narrowing. I mean, a narrowing down of expression, but not, hopefully, of of content in the sense that... that, You know, a a brief poem, a haiku, for example, as everyone knows, um, actually contains worlds. And uh, that's in 17 syllables um, and perhaps a single image. Uh, a, a lot, uh, in in some inverse way, sometimes the brief poem is the one that, that, that encompasses most possibility, whereas the longer poem actually has so much in it that it squeezes out other possibility. So, so there's there's a, uh, there's a sort of inverse law there almost, and and uh, and. Uh, I don't know. I, I suppose i incline inclined to the to the first way, the one we talked about. Of, uh, uh, but whereas, uh, but on the other end, I do respect and appreciate those who go the other way. Allen Ginsberg, you know, and others, and and A. R. Ammons in his wonderful late poem "Garbage," <laughs> which goes on and on with them. I mean, there are ways and ways, and and uh, and I think the one thing. That, saves everything is the democracy of ways, you know, there are different ways of and personalities and ways of doing that but
0: And sometimes our minds and our, yeah. our souls like why when we're reading yeah. poems, like you need certain yes. things sometimes right. without even being aware of right. it too.
1: Well I would encourage young writers always to, to put as much as they can down, you know to, to include as much as they can you know, within, within reason of themselves, but I think as you grow older, you might. Uh, I think I found this: you you do tend to compress more or condense more. You know, you, otherwise you might find yourself saying the same thing over and over again. It,
0: I, it's it. It also it reminds me of um, an, a note I took that was um, someone was trying to talk about uh, the, your book, A Christ of the of Ice Flows, mm-hmm. and saying that it. Like mark this a shift for you, or so, and mm-hmm. bring can't, and that's so you say yes. So you believe believe that as well. That's I think, so. <coughs> um,
1: I, think I think so. Is continuation under shift. I think but those. I don't know who said that, but but um, but um,
0: it was on the Olives of Oblivion site mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm. where they were talking about the book, David, and mm. and it was just there was a moment where it was interesting that they, they said the self. Um, tortured amalgamation of the lives of others, past and present, or mm-hmm. so. Like that was that sense,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And, and self being central, but in this way so non-central, and that seems to make sense yes. from listening to your poems.
1: That's interesting. Yeah.
0: Even yeah. the poem you said this is about my granddaughter Isabella, is and this where the mm-hmm. where the poem went was mm-hmm. amazing. It wasn't as if it was rooted in that cr- crawling moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, I I'm not talking about. It. I, I think Christ of the Ashes was the last book I published in England, and uh, uh, when I went to the States in the '60s, something happened that, that changed my. For one thing, I began to read a great deal more American poetry, and uh, formally and other ways, I uh, changed. I know I, I you know deliberately opened the poems out more formally, and uh, and so that they became more of a patterning, uh, you know formally a patterning on the page as well as um and and uh maybe something in the expression um maybe pr- previous to that there's a kind of rhetoric i had that that fell away uh in in the seventies and so forth, since then and more and more until now that, that things got a bit simpler or the language or something got a bit uh straighter i don't know how to put it or, or less um Th- thrashing, <laughs> and and uh, so that um, you, you know when I read some of my earlier stuff now it, it's really another voice. I, I I have you know I have to get used to it. And,
0: uh, you recognize it though as
1: it comes back to me, but but uh, almost like a younger brother who needs attention. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Which, um, mm. That that is so interesting, isn't it? Like to be able to see yourself as a self mm. that's been. Do you? I wonder if you feel. Is there something at the core that you feel has always been there within the work? Like, would it be the the quality of meditation, or what it would may it? Maybe
1: that. Yeah, uh, I think um, uh, it may be reflection or something. Um. It could be that, but, but then I—I I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a terribly centered person. I, I, you know, I, I tend to dissolve into a landscape sometimes, that <laughs> or a carpet pattern or whatever. But, but, uh,
0: what? What? Why?
1: Uh, again, maybe it's a Piscean thing, but but it's um. I I I cannot. Uh, i find it doesn't work for me to assert myself either as a poet or, or you know in, in in the way one writes or does it you know this is not my view of things isn't it blah blah kind of thing but um, so i think there's a receptivity there maybe that, that is stronger than than the assertiveness if that makes any sense and uh and um and that's not something one tries for. It's either there or it isn't there. And then there are times when one wishes it weren't. But you know, it's, a
0: but it's a way of being. A it's way a way of being, yeah. Which means a way of writing for mm-hmm. you because it seems...
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, is there life after poetry? Well, it seems like even if you're going to ask the question, it's not as if you're going to really fully consider the answer.
1: Yes. Very well said. Yeah,
0: and maybe that seems, David. Then that the questions are also the constancy. Then through the time, being receptive would also mm-hmm. mean being risking asking questions.
1: That I think so, and the questions maybe are are, are unanswerable. Which is, you know, some people ask questions with a real desire to find an answer. I, I'm not sure if I do. <laughs> hope that there is no answer you know this means the questions remain but and don't get dispelled or, or done away with but, but um I, i've read a good deal of philosophy over the years and, and uh you know this this works its way in here and there uh, to, but uh, not so much metaphysics as Maybe the corrective philosophers like Wittgenstein, who who, who deny metaphysics a, as a reality kind of thing, but, but uh, yes. And
0: but but yet, what it seems like you you are inhabiting is like the the um, being in reality mm-hmm. of some yeah. sort, but not. But never finished with it because it's unfinishing somehow or
1: either that or one never fully comes to understand it at the point where one can control it, it in expression, you know, and, and by saying this is the way this works, this is the way the alligator works, <laughs> right. is, you know, so forth. But, you know.
0: This is the way the alligator works. <laughs> I love that. That mm. that, and then this also reminds me of one of the other. Um, Lines you have to begin the book, Asterix David. The most beautiful is the object which does not exist. Zbigniew Herbert.
1: Zbigniew Herbert, yeah, he's an ma- incredible poet, yeah. Uh, Polish, you know his work, a Polish poet. Um, I'd say perhaps the best, one of the very, very best of his time. And, and uh, yes, he, he's, he's extraordinarily rigorous, but, but also, also very open to experience in that
0: but the most beautiful object is one that yeah. is which does not exist yes which is almost the opposite of what we were just saying <laughs> i know but so opposite that it's the same who knows i don't
1: know Although well, i thought that sort of re- re- related to asterisks uh, too in a way that, that one's really not in the presence of a, of a solid entity there you're, you're working with with possible possibilities but
0: David Wevel, thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on the program today. I've, I've so enjoyed talking with you.
1: I enjoyed it very much, myself.
0: Come and back anytime. You. Well. You've been You've been listening to Living Writers. Mm-hmm. David Wevel, his book we've spoken about, Asterix, today with Exile Editions. Um, more to come in spring of 2010. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks for listening to Living Writers. Until next time.
2: This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, November 4th, 2009. From New York City, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up on today's program, in Iran, protesters and government forces clash on a day that marks one of the key moments of the Islamic Revolution. Many of these former
1: students who are reformist leaders now, are in jail right now because they they were uh, kind of key organizers and political leaders in the elections in
2: June. American Indian leaders converge on Washington for a summit at the White House.
1: After our massacre of 1860, our language went underground, our ceremonies went underground, you know, our culture went underground.
2: And election results are in. We'll take a look at the outcomes across the country, from same-sex marriage in Maine to races in New York for the U.S. House and mayor of New York City. Michael Bloomberg uh, changed the election rules so that he could be reelected, uh, and then he spent all this money attacking a Democrat who wouldn't even attack him. Those stories and more after the headlines. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for Free Speech Radio News. Voters in Maine have overturned same-sex marriage legislation by a narrow margin. From community station WERU in Maine, Amy Brown reports. The marriage equality law passed the state legislature and was signed by the governor earlier this year. The law was never implemented, however, because opponents immediately used Maine's citizen referendum process to force a vote. With 97% of the precincts reporting, the marriage equality law has been repealed by almost 53%. A coalition of same-sex marriage advocates pledged today to stay the course, although they have not yet determined what their next steps will be. In other referendum news from the state, voters passed a measure that will expand its medical marijuana law. Maine becomes the fifth state to allow dispensaries to grow and sell to patients. Amy Brown, Free Speech Radio News, East Orland, Maine. On the marriage front in Washington state, a ballot measure that would expand the rights of state-registered domestic partners is passing by a 2% margin. Nearly two-thirds of the votes are counted from Seattle and Dornfeld reports. The Washington state legislature passed the same domestic partnership law last spring, but opponents